Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, episode 8, about the 1999, The Mummy. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Megan. And our lovely guest. Hi, I'm Emily again. She might sound familiar. Because she was with us when we talked about yes. cannibal mermaids in cabaret bands. Yeah, that that episode was, I think, like number two. It was a long time, three or two or three, and uh, it's called Two Mermaids Walking to a Strip Club," which is that was a good title. <laughs> yep, and it's not a joke. It's just real life. <laughs> it's exactly the plot of the film. It's exactly what happened. It was really on the nose. Um, so so for our icebreaker for this movie we were gonna do your favorite line um from this is a 1999 mummy not to be confused with the one from the 30s with boris karloff not definitely not to be confused with this most recent blight of cinema that was the shit show because i was hoping it was gonna be great because she looked like she was gonna be so cool well she was so cool and then tom cruise hijacked her story which I can't even tell you how many times that's happened to me personally. So, um, yeah. But really, I remember being like, yeah, I remember being like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, seriously, this is this is not your day. Anyway, so I've tried to forget it. I got my blood pressure up. Let's talk about something soothing. What's uh, Emily gets to go first because she's our, our lovely guest. What's your favorite line from the 1999 Mummy? Well, I don't feel like I'm drunk enough to read this line correctly, but it goes a little something. (laughs) It goes a little something like this. Look, I may not be an explorer or an adventurer or a treasure seeker or a gunfighter, Mr. O'Connell, but I am proud of what I am. I am a librarian. Just... Just imagine me, just imagine me like 5,000 times drunker when I'm saying that. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a really good one. And then you get to pass out on his chest. Yeah, girl. It's a win-win. So mine is the Book of the Dead. Are you sure you want to be playing around with this thing? And then Evelyn goes, it's just a book. No harm ever came from (laughs) reading a book. Girl, please. You're a librarian. You should know better. (laughs) You just destroyed that library. You know better than that, (laughs) Evelyn. I mean, I appreciate your confidence, but yeah, that's a good line, too. Mine's not from her, although she is an assist. It's when she's trying to get him, she's trying to get O'Connell, they're in the prison in the very beginning, and she's trying to convince him to tell her where Hominoptera is. And she said, how do you know where it is? He goes, because I've seen it, I've been there. And she says, do you swear? And he goes, every damn day. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> because he's so campy and corny and lovable. And also, kind of gross. And I like him. Yeah. It it works for him in this movie. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. <laughs> I got so many. Oh, my gosh. I could talk about this movie forever. And I believe you wrote into our outline that I have time to be a fangirl real quick. Yeah. So I'm going to do that, if you guys don't mind. Um, I saw this movie in the theater when I was, like, 11. And Ardeth Bay was my first celebrity crush. That's the one with the face tattoos, not um, O'Connell. And uh, my little cousin Gina, or I mean little cousin, she's like, you're younger than me. Um, we, Whenever we would get in trouble or be acting weird, we would start chanting like Emotep so we could get <laughs> off the hook. <laughs> and my stepdad thought it was so funny that he wouldn't punish us. Also, he was kind of, I mean, like if we could make him laugh, then he was like, it's fine. <laughs> you did it in a funny way. And then my other cousins and I started doing it too because, like, on this vacation, my grandfather kept the apartment, I mean, the hotel so cold that we, like, all left with colds. Um, and so we would have, like, blanket. You know how when you get cold, you can't, like, move very well. So we chanted Imhotep for that too. Mostly we were impersonating the horde. That's most of my childhood experience with the mummy. But anyway, Megan, you're going to tell us about the fantasy of 1999. Go ahead, or Megan, that me? That's you. Oh my gosh, I've been talking so long already. That's okay. 
You're the one that had all these cool things. All I've got to say is a list of things that were wrong historically and geographically about this film in a in a fun way. Well, before you do that, I want to denote, I mean, I of course, like there there will be historical inaccuracies because it's Hollywood and it's a movie. No, of course. Um, but I do appreciate how this movie in contrast to many other movies that are set in the Arab world is immediately like Hey, this is a fantasy. Just go with it, and then it's like, and then you kind of like, okay, so this is not Egypt. This is like, but this is, but this is Egypt land. It's like a uh, theme theme park Egypt, you know, planet <laughs> Egypt. So you can just you know kind of go with it without. I I feel like I wasn't the whole time like this is wrong. That's not how you say that. So I appreciated that, um, and then also I liked it because it was released in. I mean, I feel like it's a totally different vibe of the Arab world pre and post 9-11. And this was 1999, right before everybody got super scared. So um, we could we still have like some some good guys who were brown, which is nice, Um, although they are bad guys at first. And then the original one was in the 30s, which is right after the 20s. Um, obviously, but the 20s are important because that's when Egypt became, like, the big fashion trend because they opened King Tut's tomb. And so that's when, like, the page boy haircut, like, the bobs came in style and the heavy eye makeup and all the suit with, like, the crazy huge jewelry because they were imitating that. And so I liked that they set the movie in that period when everybody was still, like, treasure hunting, adventure seeking, because back then, I mean, I know you're going to, like, say that all this stuff is wrong, but I kind of like it because then, like, if you were an archaeologist, like, it was treasure hunting. You didn't have to give it to the country that you found it in. It was finders keepers, which is totally wrong, but works for the narrative. I mean, it's wrong morally, but it works for the narrative really well. Now it's, like, 50-50, and, like, England still has some of Egypt's stuff, and they won't give it back because they don't want to set a precedent, which is fucked up, but also... Then nobody would go to the Louvre because that's the main draw. That and the Mona Lisa, which is super underwhelming. Anyway, okay. So artistic licenses and historical inaccuracies, go. God, okay. (laughs) Number one. So the film opens and it's like a scene of Thebes, is it not? And there's like these grand pyramids visible in all of this. Uh, Side note, the pyramids are in Giza, not in Thebes. Almost all of them is theme park Egypt. So it's just things like that. So like I saw it and there's like this big like welcome to Thebes basically. And I'm like, there's no pyramids there. Those aren't visible. Side note, up until like 10th grade of high school, my dream job was to be an Egyptologist. That was my career path. So I was pumped for this and I was like, wrong. So that irked me a little bit. But then I was like, no, it's just a film. We'll move past it. But then the Book of the Dead is basically like this. Gold gilded codex style book. Uh, those were not created until the Roman Empire, so that would not have been around. Those would have definitely been papyrus skulls, but I get we're trying to make it pretty. All right, so I'm just gonna throw this out there. I'm just gonna throw this out there to like in defense of the movie, perhaps as the Book of the Dead, it can like regenerate and make itself like look however it needs to look for contemporary people who would find it so like maybe back in the day it was papyrus but now that like it's the 1920s it looks like a like what 1920s people would want to see in a fancy book so it's like more enticing like the way jumanji did how it used to be a board game but now it's an outdated nostalgic (laughs) no (laughs) i guess okay well then you need to write that into your plot because That was not mentioned, therefore your book is wrong, your pyramids are wrong, and then Rick goes at people with a bronze sword at one point. No, because number one, that little wimpy body is not strong enough to hold up a bronze sword. I'm going to let my Dungeons and Dragons It's bronze plated, Megan. Well then let... (laughs) And then still... It would be way too malleable. It would bend. It's not cutting through bitches and hoes. It's wrong. It's ornamental. It's ceremonial. It's not meant for actual, like, neck cutting. I got you. Okay, well, he did. He went, like, slaying people and (laughs) is wrong. (laughs) It's wrong. But, yeah, so there's just things that are... There's things. 
And then I was going to say, oh yeah, the I can't pronounce it right. Maybe Mary, you, Mary Kay, you've seen it enough. The 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 name of the place, the Hamanoptera. Yeah, Hamanoptera. I think it's a long name. That's how they say it in the movie. I don't know if that's correct, but that's how they say it in the movie. So we're being consistent with the movie, if nothing else. Well, we're going to pretend that it is for the sake of just our podcast being super factual. Yeah. Okay. But it's a real place in a real world. In our real world, and it's nicknamed the City of the Dead, but it's in fucking India. It's not in Egypt. But there, there's also a, there's also like many cities of the dead because they were necropolis. Like that's just that's it's basically a graveyard, but because they were resurrectionists. Um, Saying like a town called Hamanoptera is a real place. Oh, that's in interesting. India. Okay, it is Egypt land, but I'm still going to point out the inaccuracies for the sake. Of but, the film. But India is not in Egypt land at all. Or it should not be. It's <laughs> <laughs> a totally different place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on the other side of that, I want to show you the historical accuracies. <laughs> because I will defend this movie after I'm dead. I didn't say the historical inaccuracies made it bad. But they were just things that I noticed. I know. I get it, and I appreciate that, and now I'm going to deliver a counter-argument. So, <laughs> um, so the all of Egypt was resurrectionists, or they were resurrectionists, which just means that like everything you do in this life is a preparation for the afterlife, because this life is super short. So... I was, you know, looking up some stuff online and then immediately got frustrated because I was like, you guys don't even care. You don't even like this movie. Like, shut up. You just want to shit on everything that's fun. Um, not you guys, but like everybody I was reading and they were like, um, so let the let the evil guy be resurrection, resurrected. They said resurrection. Let's just go with that. They didn't. I've misspoke. But let's just. Yeah, well, everybody's supposed to get resurrected. That's the thing. Even if you get resurrected to be like bl- like blown into smithereens, which I think was one of the things that could happen to you, or like your heart was eaten by that death dog. I don't know. I get it confused. But anyway, everybody was supposed to be resurrected. And what they did for Imhotep, because he, he was a blasphemer, because the pharaoh was supposed to be God incarnate. And then he slept with the pharaoh's lady. I'm not really sure what her deal is. That might not be right. I don't know about I don't I'm not a man, but I'm pretty sure yeah, I'm pretty sure she was like a mistress, basically. Well, regardless, you can't go against the Pharaoh because that's bad. Um and so he his uh magical resurrection spells were chiseled off his sarcophagus because uh you shouldn't be resurrecting him because he's supposed to be punished. And then whoever put an end to his punishment got cursed by him. Like, he would have to go find you and kill you to be resurrected. So, like, people were like, oh, this curse is stupid. And I was like, no, it actually kind of makes sense. It just really folds in on itself. And then um, another inaccuracy, right, is, like, Imhotep wasn't really, like... I mean, I guess he could have been a priest, but he was a he was a architect. He designed some of the earlier <laughs> shittier pyramids, I think. Um, but, yeah. And then, so, yeah, the... Punishment thing, and then also the 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 scarabs were a thing that was buried with them as like a protector deal. But then when they were actually buried, they even though they were not real, the real bugs, they were like ceremoniously killed so they couldn't eat the flesh because you needed that for later, for when you were resurrected, like you needed your body still. So yeah, okay, we can talk about Evie now. I know that's what you guys want to do. <laughs> what? No. I was just looking at, because I saw something about the scarabs, um, but now I can't find it, so I'll, just, I'll come back to it. They, there's something symbolic with them, too, but I can't remember um, exactly what it is. They do eat flesh, though. That's real. Although I think they eat dead flesh. I can't remember. Gross. Well, somebody's got to do it, you know? I mean, would you rather just go ahead, like, after you die, wouldn't you rather just go ahead and be, like, eaten away rather than, like, slowly decaying? You're dead. 
I mean, would you rather just go ahead, like, after you die, wouldn't you rather just go ahead and be, like, eaten away rather than, like, slowly decaying? You're dead. Yeah, part of the circle of life. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back into the earth. I mean, why not? Sure. I mean, it's just my body at that point, so whatever you need to do with it is... Within reason, I mean, you know, obviously. within reason. <laughs> I don't want to be totally defiled or anything, but... It's the circle of life. It's natural. Don't decay. It's not the way. If Rafiki could sing while it was happening, I feel like I'd have more peace about it. But I mean, like, you want to be eaten because that's like the way that's your role as a dead person. Yes. Didn't you see the Lion King? Fuck yeah, I did. It was awesome. And I got to take my grandma. We had such a good time. We climbed so many steps. Those pictures were precious. Look, I cried so much during that. Like, I was just like crying and crying. And then afterwards, I... I told Gina, like, I cried a lot, and she's like, I know. And I was like, bitch, why were you looking at me and not the show? <laughs> oh, you saw it, too. I forgot. That theater's awesome. You were looking up at the stars and thinking, those are the dead ancestors of lions. Well, I was actually sitting in the sky. <laughs> I was a star, like a past king. <laughs> that was me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, what were we talking about? I think we were talking about punishments and scarabs and curses. Or do you want to hear another funny story that happened? It's a true story. It happened like this weekend. Yeah. Um, So I was telling someone how excited I was a date. Let's be honest. And I was telling someone how excited that I was about doing this podcast because it's the motherfucking mummy. I was pumped about it. And he was, I guess, I don't know, maybe trying to impress me or just like, make conversation i'm not really sure but he was like did you know that no mummies were buried in pyramids i like emily's face right now i just i just fucking hate listen i hate it how anytime you tell a guy that you're interested in something they try to prove that they know more about it than you do every fucking time every fucking time and i'm like please stop just stop yeah and also that's not true i was gonna say (laughs) that's that's wrong. Well, maybe they were not buried in those pyramids in Thebes, in Egypt land. Okay. Well, okay. Well, at least Emotep is in there. And I was like, yeah, they, they're they actually tombs. Like, that's their only purpose is that they're tombs. Um, and if there's no mummies left there, it's because the people who were building the tombs saw the treasures go in and then stole them. And then he was like, well, do you know who built the pyramids? And I was like, oh, God. Did you tell him, look, I didn't go on a date for a fucking lesson <laughs> in history? No. Um, I said, well, there's been some scholars have recently decided that they were not built by slave labor. But I have my doubts about that. Like, they're not sure either. And he said, aliens. And I said, no. <laughs> And then he, he, and then I was like, no. And he goes, well, who, who built it then? And I was like, really? And he was like, well, how do you know aliens didn't? And I was like, what? I'm getting tired. I have to go home. I'm just going to start saying aliens did everything and being like, how did you know aliens didn't do that? So is there not going to be a second date? I think that's the big question. I mean, probably not if he listens to this podcast, because he'll realize what a fool he was acting. I mean... I don't know. I'm seeing about it. You know, I'm pretty picky about, like, everything, so we'll see. No, he was really nice. Yeah. Here's to hoping he doesn't listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Here's hoping he's not interested enough in me to listen to my podcast. Oh, yeah. Here's, Here's the real test. He listens to it, and he's still interested, and he learns from it. Yeah, that's true. Then, yeah. No matter how the first date went, you learned something? Come on, let's go. And you're wearing pants? Let's go. To the chapel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, liberating minds, you know, just like Evie. That's a great segue to Evie and how she is basically, truly one of the greatest heroines in film. And she is like the unsung heroine of film. I feel like she doesn't ever make it on to the badass ladies of like action and horror. Well, can we say like, especially, especially for the 90s, this is a big deal. Oh, absolutely. And I know you guys have talked about other 90s films that maybe didn't do as good of a job with feminism as we once thought. So yeah, I listened. I listened to this podcast. Are you wearing pants Um, too? Let's go, girl. Let's go. (laughs) 
I'm wearing hey. leggings. I'm sorry. Are those leather pants? Oh my god. No, they're leggings. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were ready to go like fight crime. Let's do it. I got a cat suit on under this hoodie. You know. Yeah, I definitely though. I see what you're talking about, Megan, about her being a role model because she was like cute, but that wasn't her thing. Her thing was that being smart. You know. Yeah, she was obviously very beautiful, but she was quick-witted and she was extremely intelligent. Intelligent. She was extremely intelligent and like she was confident, which I think is not something that you saw in a lot of 90 films. She was smart and she knew it. She wasn't willing to bend when someone was like, maybe you shouldn't do this. She's like, well, I'm gonna. And here's the reasons why it's right. Yeah, like that one scene when they're, um, oh, when they're, when he's like, all you guys come with me. O'Connell's like, all you guys come with me. Lock her in there. Don't let her out. And she's like, no, I'm going. And all the guys are like, I'm not doing that. And she's like, I need to go. I'm the only one who can help you. He won't let her. He constantly underestimates her and it's constantly proven wrong. But I also like how she was flawed. Like, she doesn't act perfect all the time. She's clumsy. She's clumsy, but not in that, like, Twilight way where, you know, like... No, she had relatable quirks and, like, charming mistakes. Yes, where you're like, okay, this is, she's like a person, not like a, a perfect heroine in a movie. Um, and I think that's important because I think a lot of times uh, we as women are given the message that we need to be flawless at all times. I feel like uh, Evie, pr- Evie probably farts. <laughs> you know? Like, I could see her farting. And I'd be like, yep, that's it. Especially after she drank all that Glenlivet and passed out on him. Oh my god, Glenlivet will make you probably fart a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying, not me, I never fart, but, you know, some people might. <laughs> she, she had the, she took the biggest hangover jump the next day, probably. Aren't you glad you invited me here for this? This is my, what I have to add. Yes. I'm really happy to have you. <laughs> but she really did provide, like, a new take on that whole damsel in distress thing, because she did make mistakes, and she did have problems But what set her apart, especially for a female in a 90s film, is that she would always actively seek solutions to the problems that she created. Instead of just being like, oh no, there's a problem, and a guy swooping in to save it. She was just like, we've got to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Here's what we can do. And especially with her and Rick, they really relied on each other as equals. So it's not like she was his sidekick. They were definitely each other's sidekicks. And you could tell at the end when she was just like literally had to like lean into it and just do what he said and trust that he was going to save her. And he had to do the same for her. It's like she saved him. He saved her. They saved each other. But they were definitely equals. Equality. (laughs) Yeah. Equality mingling. Nobody was better than the other, and nothing could happen without each other. I think that's why, for me, their romance was rewarding at the end, because it didn't feel like, I don't know, like your typical action romance, because there's always a romance in action films. It's usually like, the girl is resistant to it, and then the guy saves her life, and so she's like, oh, okay, you're cool, I guess, and it's like, I would have died without you, and then they end up together. But this was like... Way more complicated than that. Obviously, there was attraction from the beginning, which was nice. Um, because, like, normally that's how it actually fucking works. Um, <laughs> um, and, the, and the fact that they were clearly equals and were both getting something from the, the relationship made me, as a viewer, like, actually happy for them when they got together. And I didn't, like, roll my eyes. Like, oh, of course, the inevitable hookup with the two main characters like I do for, with a lot of these types of movies. It didn't feel forced like the shitty hookup romance in uh, Top Gun. Have you seen that? It's one of my favorite movies other than I'm like, why is this here? I'm like, why is this here? Why are you licking his chin? Go but get back on a motorcycle, Tom Cruise. It's not necessary. <laughs> and stay, and stay out, out of the, the mummies. Yeah. Tom Cruise, can't you do anything right? The Scientology probably... Making him confess a whole bunch of stuff that he doesn't want to relive, I bet. Oh, but back to the thing about their uh, relationship being, like, mostly consensual. In fact, like, actually consensual. Um, You can tell that she likes him, even though she should be disgusted by him. Because she's she's like, why did you kiss me in the beginning? And he's like, I don't know, I was about to be hanged. (laughs) It seemed like a good idea. 
And then she gets mad at him, which is cute. Yeah, if she didn't like him, she wouldn't have asked. Let's pretend this never happened. Yeah. So, speaking of hot, hunky dudes, in so in the 30s one that this movie was adapted from, he was Emotep, but, like, resurrected, like, in... Okay, so you know how Anoxina Moon is supposed to take Evie's body when she's resurrected? I think, and I didn't finish it because after they called the the one black guy the Nubian in the old one, I was like, I can't with this. I mean, I know it's classic cinema or whatever, but I can't. That's weird. I just don't, I feel deeply uncomfortable. So I stopped watching it, but he's, both of those guys are Boris Karloff. So they made Ardith Bay a totally new character, pretty much. And we think in the beginning, or I thought in the beginning he was the bad guy because first of all, costume, he's dressed in all black. That's what they do to make you think that. And then also at the very, y'all remember the very beginning scene when that French troop that there were Arabs and Americans in for some reason like talk about historical inaccuracy I tried to make that shit work and I was like I don't understand what's happening here they just needed to include white people otherwise they didn't think we'd pay attention so I guess well also like it does like this movie does have like an orientalist sort of vibe I mean because this is kind of when it was happening the most is or I mean I guess Napoleon kind of kicked it off but uh sort of looking at the whole east as like escapism, like fantasy land, which this movie does also. So I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if it's like straight up racist, but it definitely has some like fetishy stuff. But whatever, I'm just gonna go with it. It's fantasy, yeah, for now. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So look, this conversation has a lot of branches. So we'll just get to all of them. We're a tree. We're just gonna keep talking about the Lion King all episode. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we'll table it for now. I'm just yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for not making me do that on the spot. Fuck. So in the beginning scene, when they're in the desert for no reason, fighting against Arabs for no reason, um, you have the Magi like up on the dunes, right? And they're like sh- the the like the second the right hand is or whatever is like, should we kill him? And then Ardith Bay is like, no, let the desert kill him. And I was like, shit, man, damn, don't let the desert kill him. That's way worse. So I remember thinking he was the bad guy. And then they also raid the ship uh, when they're on the way to Hamanoptera to try to prevent them from resurrecting this creature. And then they have that whole ordeal when they're actually at Hamanoptera. And Ardith Bay is like, you need to leave right now. We'll give you one day to like pack up and, sh- and pack up all your shit and get the fuck out. Rick is like, no. <laughs> because apparently he's in charge now. So um, they're like, no, we're not leaving. And then they actually or Evie actually does accidentally uh, resurrect the monster. And then, oh, this is my second favorite quote, where if you guys took my first one, this is what I was going to tell you. When he's like, we have to figure out how to kill the monster, this is Ardith Bay. Rick is like, I told you I got him. And he said, no mortal weapon can kill this creature. He's not of this world. I told you to leave this place or die, and you've unleashed a creature that we've feared for more than 3,000 years. So thanks for not like listening to my warning. I was trying to protect the entire human race. Good luck with everything, I guess. I liked that he was like a secret good guy. I like, I, you know, I'm, I love him a lot. And then he's also so cool because he flies on the the wing of that tiny plane that would not have flown with him on the on the wing and I was just like it's fine he's so cute he's having the time of his life mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so I thought we thought he was gonna be the bad guy and then we have the four bumbly Americans who like fuck up the world who in fact fuck up the world they kind of reminded me of Lucy's uh lovers in Dracula because they all like there was a cowboy there was a nerd there was a guy who was born rich but like this the original was like sort of a part of like that like monster movie family so it's not that i mean that's probably on purpose right the like parallels to dracula yeah um it definitely has some of the like the reanimated corpse trope and it has the whole deal of i mean dracula is like this too right like you go from the west into the east and that's where the freaky shit that's unexplainable happens and then you come back a totally changed and better man. Almost always man. Only I guess Mina. But and the Evie too is very similar to Mina in that she's smart. So Yeah, and there 
they're both like objects of sexual interest to the monster as well not just they're they're not just allowed to be like heroes like the men are they're also like objectified by the monster and therefore like sort of like in danger in ways that are different than all the men you know the monster doesn't treat her like an equal (laughs) yeah and then also like only the dumb bad guys treat her as inferior like uh when that egyptologist says um they're led by a woman. What does she know? And I'm like, that's going to kill you later. I can tell. That's a Chekhov's gun thing. I know that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, we had to have some reason to hate him. You know, otherwise he would have been the sad to watch die. But when he's a misogynist, it's kind of fun. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting, though, because, like, I feel like even even though he's the bad guy saying that, I feel like I was watching that now. I was thinking, like, I don't think that they would have that in a movie anymore. Like, I don't think they would have a bad guy say that because, like, it would seem, like, too bad almost. Like, to be that misogynistic to think, like, oh, women don't know anything. I don't know. I just don't think that we would uh, accept that anymore in, like, a current movie. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, like, for the time, I think it worked. And it's, like, it's so interesting because, like, 1999 doesn't seem like that long ago it's insane so you realize it's almost 10 years ago and that is a decade no it was almost 20 years ago you're a lot older than you thought you were let that sink in shit maybe i was younger than i thought when this came out i don't know i remember my mom being mad and i went to see it let's talk about how all these characters have aged really well too like rachel weiss still doing great look rachel weiss is a queen um i Look, she looks gorgeous now, and I'm not trying to say that she doesn't because she is amazing. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad they actually got someone who can act to play this part because she can act. Um, but watching this movie again now, I forgot, like, she looks like a baby in this movie. Like, she, she I mean, she's hot in this movie, but she's like hottened up a lot since as she's gotten older and hotter. And, Married Daniel Craig. Congratulations, girl. In my opinion. And then Odette Fair, also Silver Fox now, looks almost the same except for with white hair. Just good. I'm just saying I had good taste 20 years ago. I stand by it. So as I was watching this movie over again, again, like I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters, I asked myself, yo, is this movie racist? And I did what I do when I... I did did what I always do when I think a movie might be racist. I Googled it. I I did, like, The Mummy 1999, racist or racism, uh, whitewashing, things like that. Oh, it's definitely whitewashed. Yeah. Yeah, but I couldn't find anything. And I was like, why are people not talking about the fact that Rachel Weisz is claiming to be half Egyptian and that girl is white as hell? (laughs) I kind of can buy, like, so mixed race jeans work kind of in a funny way. Like, sometimes they present differently than other times. So, for that, I could be like, okay, pass pass for that one. But Anaxuna Moon is uh, from Venezuela. What the fuck? Pissed me off. Or the woman who plays her. Uh, she's beautiful, and etc. But, like, she's supposed to be an ancient Egyptian. Can you pass someone who's, like, at least kind of from there? A little? That'd be great. You know, everyone was all up in arms when Emma Stone was trying to act like she was Hawaiian. She played a native Hawaiian in a movie, and everyone was like, wait a minute, this is not okay. But Rachel Weisz does not look Egyptian at all. I just don't know. I just don't know how I feel about that. That would probably be my number one problem with the movie is like, I love Rachel Weisz. So glad she's in the movie. But like, did she have to be half Egyptian? Yeah, in the movie about what I can't remember what it's called, the Armenian genocide movie. They had another, they had a Oscar Isaac, who whom I love, but he's not Armenian. And that was a pretty solid movie, too. And he wasn't a bad casting choice, but it's also like... And then Emotep is German. I feel like... Okay, so Oded Fair is um, Israeli, so that's close enough. I'm not going to split hairs, like, that's close enough. And then, um, But I, I do think that the warden might have actually been Egyptian, so I can't remember, though. But Hollywood still does that shit where they're like, brown is brown. They still do that. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Like, Which, I mean, I guess, like, br- a brown is brown concept is better than, like, a white is brown concept. But that's still not fair. That's, that's true. 
It's a baby step forward. It's not a full step forward, but it's like a little baby step. I would say the movie itself, I don't think it was racist, but the production of it might not have been as non-racist as it should have been. Yeah, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say the casting could have been a little bit uh, less whitewashed. Yes, definitely. It's Orientalism all the way down because it's just kind of taking stories from the East and retelling them for a Western audience, which I feel like as long as you establish it as fantasy and it's not authentic, it's not that irresponsible. Like, it's just like, here's a fun story of Adventure Time that's going to make you curious enough to go research it for real. And for that, I'm okay with it. And especially because it establishes right up front, like, this is not real. Like, this did not happen. This is an adventure story. Yeah. And I like, I mean, like, I would like to say, like, oh, well, this is a 90s movie, so we can forgive some of that, like, whitewashing and stuff. But, like, that would that would be pretending that it's changed at all when we know that the most, yeah, the most recent Mummy movie starred a white dude. Gods of Egypt start a white dude. I would love to see a movie that takes place in this area of the world that maybe like actually stars people from this area of the world. <laughs> well, you heard the whole problem with Aladdin. Did you did you guys like keep up with that at all? So they were making well, they're making Aladdin into a live action film like apparently Disney is doing with all of their classic films because apparently everything needs a live action version. But they were trying to figure out, we were, everyone was like waiting for them to announce the casting choices. And it was taking a long time for them to come out with it. And they said it's because they couldn't find an actor from that part of the world that could sing and dance. And everyone was like, have y'all never heard of Bollywood? Or have, y- have y'all never, like, they said like they could not find a brown actor that could do any of these things. And we all just looked at them. And then they cast was like Will Smith as the genie. First of all, you shouldn't be redoing Aladdin without Robin Williams. You should not be doing it. You should not be doing it. Bollywood is Indian, and this is supposed to be in... I mean, they they fictionalized it Agrabah, which is not real. It was supposed to be in Saudi Arabia, I think. But they said they could not specifically find a Saudi Arabian actress, which... Okay. But then they said that they could not specifically... said they could not find a traditionally and that's literally the word that the article i read used a traditionally brown actor or actress bullshit i'll do for it for the main roles that's what i said i said i can sing look at me i was born in turkey that's as close as you're gonna get but no i got a job at disney small fact as what? jasmine broke my leg couldn't go to couldn't go couldn't do it i broke my leg in college i was literally slated to two weeks leave to go to disney and play jasmine oh my gosh my mom made a facebook post and everything it was like so proud of our daughter megan and then i broke my leg and i couldn't oh, go that is so upsetting i'm so jealous i wish i could be jasmine you're belle girl that's good too yeah i look i'm i'm white as fuck so i'm more of a belle well personality wise also i, I, I know think. but i just want that pet tiger can I be Belle, but with a pet tiger? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for you to have a pet tiger. I'm so excited about it. I'm crying a little bit. I would probably cry every day of joy. At some point in every episode, we always take some drastic turn in the wrong direction. We're like, these are really important topics, but like, also, what if we had a pet tiger? <laughs> um, this is a very Disney Disney heavy episode. Have I got a zoo? I'm telling you, it's a world-class menagerie. I listened to that whole soundtrack on the way driving to New Orleans for your bachelorette party. <laughs> it was great. And then we sang uh, <laughs> the Scar song at Megan's wedding when it, <laughs> when it devolved into karaoke. And it was basically the best night of my life. Yeah, so about this movie, did you talk about, like, Hebrew and all that stuff. No, that you were... I didn't. And I, um, I was going to about the historical accuracy part. There's some like scholarly debate, but I remember seeing it when I was like ten or whatever. And the fun, you know, the funniest and the most sus- suspense developing uh, part is when Emotep is walking towards Benny, and Benny also is a white actor. I forgot to tell you guys that um, he's supposed to be like. An Egyptian spirit guide, I think, for the Americans. But he's like, nah. 
He's also definitely an opportunist. Like, he's all in it for himself, and that's portrayed as a bad thing in this movie when really it's just a practical, sensible way to be. However, I do remember when I went to see it in the theaters with my first cousin and my stepdad, and he wasn't supposed to take us. We were so fucking excited that he was taking us because we had been wanting to see it for a long time. Um, And it ended up, you know, being fine, even even though it was PG-13. Um, and so Benny has all these medallions and he like starts saying prayers in all the different languages, right? Like that's the the funniest part where you're like, no, that's not how this works. And then it also works for him, you know, because he holds up the star of David and starts speaking in Hebrew. And then uh, Imhotep is like, oh, the slave language. Yeah, I can use you. And it's like saves his life. I remember my stepdad was like, do you understand what just happened? And I was like, yeah, I went, yeah, I got it. I went to Sunday school. I understand what's happening. So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool because even though this is established as a fantasy, like so, like there's just enough historical relevance where it's like it, it kind of can play on the, the mind of the collective viewer of like, even if you weren't raised in that faith, like I feel like most people are familiar with the enslavement of the Jews in Egypt because it's, it's a Judah, it's like a Abrahamic, foundation uh story but so i thought that was really cool and then i was even talking to my friend the other night i was like we're doing the mommy and he was like you don't remember seeing that movie with my dad and i remember um when that one guy holds up all (laughs) all the different necklaces and we were both like oh no he's going to hell (laughs) (laughs) i i liked that even though um with like historical emo type it wouldn't have been at the same time as the jews it's just kind of like everything like, even a little bit Egyptian will work for this movie because it's planet Egypt. I feel like that's kind of scary because, you know, slavery is terrifying. Um, what else? Man, there's nothing really scarier than that. But what else makes this movie scary? <laughs> I think the big thing with this movie for me is because I had to think about that. Because, I mean, obviously you're like, let's do The Mummy. And I was like, sure. I've always thought of it in my head as like an action film. But I could see how it's like an action slash horror film. And it's, but it's more of like a thrills, not scares kind of movie. But I think the biggest thing that makes it scary is Imhotep as a villain. You know, he's frightening, yet he's compelling. And the biggest thing that is horrific about him is you hear all these things that he does. And you can like audibly hear what he does. And you never see it. So you just form your own mental image of him like literally sucking the life out of things. And it's pretty grotesque sounding. And it's going to be entirely up to you what that looks like i mean obviously i think that two things first of all mummies are a very i don't know like traditional heart like going way back to like the olden days i mean like they have been sort of like a classic horror i don't know icon um so i think like just exploring what makes mummies scary as like a a monster is interesting and I think a lot of it has to do with like our fear of death of like what happens after death you know um and the scarab number two the scarabs I mean we talked about how we'd rather be eaten by scarabs than rot in the ground but like when you're alive and the scarabs are coming after you I I find that terrifying. I find bugs very terrifying just in general. So, like, flesh-eating bugs that are, like, going to, like, come chase me really fast and eat me alive, like, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Know. And then the back to the thing you were saying about the mummies, it's like, so everything scary happens off screen, like Megan was saying. Like, uh, when he has the hum die, when they hold his tongue. And then you see the knife come down and then someone walks in front of the camera and it's like, oh, thank God. Like, I didn't have to watch that. Um, So, like, that kind of stuff happens. They also play with um, camera-wise, like, when, I can't, I think it's the cowboy. When they finally get the cowboy, um, you just see his his shadow, his silhouette on the wall behind him. And he's, like, spinning in the air and turning into a skeleton. Like, horizontal. Remember that part? Yeah. Yeah. which I was like, that's genius. Like, that is a good move. And that that's also looks more like practical effects and special effects. And special effects were like, I remember watching this being like, how did they get that bug to, like, crawl into his cheek and then chew it? Like, that's crazy to me. It's disgusting. But also, like, it was fascinating just to think about, like, 
Who, someone had that job to like make that bug walk into his face. <laughs> someone, yeah, someone thought someone thought about that imagery as well. Like we're going to have the bug crawl into a hole in his face and then he's going to chew it. Like that's that's pretty demented, you know. Gross, 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 gross. So, I mean, those are horrific images. But like you were saying, with like the camera angles and things like that, so you never physically saw, you know, like the sword come down and those things. So I think that's where it was, you know, the thrill, not the scare. To actually see some of these these things happen would be super horrific, and which would turn this into a much more like grotesque horror horror film. But to have like the adrenaline and the thrill and the anticipation, only to have like the <gasps> okay, it's more of like the thrill. So you kind of have like this constant roller coaster through the entire film which keeps you on edge yeah and then also kind of to build on what you're saying earlier I, or I guess again just kind of go back to it about everything happening off screen um one of the one of the things that's the most scary or at least like that I was haunted by later as a kid I mean I mean even now it's like the process of mummification is uh is this like very grotesque it's like um, all the important organs are removed and put in these like beautiful ceremonial jars that people would pay a lot of money to get. Like what? No, the fuck? Uh, uh-uh. uh. <laughs> That's weird. And then um, also like one of my favorite things about this movie, like watching it as a grown up and as a writer, is that uh, the exposition of of the mummification process is so well delivered in the dialogue. Like Evie knows it, and she's like you know, like boogeyman storying it for O'Connell. And she's like, and then they stuck this up your nose and then rummage things around and then they pull it all out through your nostrils. And he's like, don't sign me up for that when I'm dead. And she's like, well, you're already be dead when they're doing this. So it won't hurt. But she doesn't like, it's, I don't know. It was so cool that like she got to be the one to deliver it. And then also like, we just saw that happen to Emotep. And all of his, like, crew who didn't really do anything except for be associated with him. So, I thought that was pretty pretty sound. I mean, it wasn't, like you said, straight up horror, but it was, you know, it's a thrill. It's like, <laughs> And just, like, on a visceral level, I think it's interesting that, like, when they find Emotep, he's like, don't they describe him as juicy? <laughs> They're like, he's not, Gross. like, he's still decaying. He's still, like, juicy, you know? Like, um... There's something, like, uh, grotesque, I think, is the best word for it. Like, there's something grotesque about the, like, decaying flesh and the fact that, like, yeah, he should have already, like, dried out, but he was still, like, wet. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) I like him as a villain, though. I do like him. And one of the things that I liked with him as a villain is most of the time when something is dead and it's reanimated in a film, like something comes back to life, they come back just as all powerful as they were when they died. And he had to actually really work to be a villain. He became weak unless he was actively seeking things out and sucking the life out of things. So he didn't come back strong and he didn't come back all powerful. He had to truly work to be the villain that he was and that was refreshing because that's usually almost never the case especially in horror films it's the the antagonist the villain is always the strong one and he certainly wasn't they did that in the new one too like i i actually i did really like that part of when she was like still mostly skeleton and couldn't stand up right Aminette's part was pretty cool of that movie to be honest like if you can watch the first like 25 minutes and then stop <laughs> it's it's pretty fun yeah it's not her fault. No, no, she's awesome. Tom Cruise, we're looking at you. I kind of felt that way about, uh, what was that, the movie he was in with Emily Blunt, where, like, he kept dying and coming back to life? All right, well, I just think it would have been better if it was just Emily Blunt kicking ass, but. So, we talked about Emotep. We asked, he has to do some work. We talked about off-screen violence. And then, okay, so mummies have, like, a lot of shit happening with them, like, Victorian time and then also in the 20s. Because that was during, like, the spiritualism time when everybody was trying to communicate with the dead and they were believing in hypnotism and all that. Um, Which I'm not trying to say, like, it's real or not real. I don't know. And I really... That was, like, the new trendy thing. Yeah. And so um, they would have, like scrapbooks in the living room of like convicted killers and stuff like news clippings and shit 
And then they would have uh, mummy unwrapping parties, which is what? Okay, so speaking of horrifying <laughs> things, like, reanimated that was corpses. a human. Like, no, that's that was like yeah, an artifact. That's a trouble. person. This shriveled body coming back yeah. to life, which is scary because um, nowadays they do it. It's more scary because, like, with the zombie stuff, it's scary because you knew them. Like, you recognize them as humans, but which I think is scarier, but this one, we wouldn't know him. Um, or at least, like, more troubling because it's not that person anymore, but you have to kill it. But you... You're associating it with that person, so. So, yeah. And then, uh, also, like, they thought that it had, like, curative properties. Have you heard this? They would grind up mummies and, like, take it when they were sick. That's real, too, and that's real upsetting to me. But not as upsetting as the fact or the idea of someone, like, unwrapping a dead body on my dining room table. That's worse. And I think that <laughs> it was a person. It's on your table. Hella disrespectful. Also, does a mummy smell, or has it been dead so long that, like, it no longer smells? Because why would you want that in your house? Uh, earth? I'd say earthy. Maybe, like, mushroomy, almost. Hey, write in if you know what mummies smell like. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know if you've smelled a mummy. <laughs> or, like, go find a mummy, smell it, and then let us know about it. That works, too. <laughs> right. Unwrap a mummy on your dining room table. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, like, the reason I would, uh, that I thought it was scary is that, especially in the 90s when Amityville Horror and all that was coming out, is that people were terrified of curses. Because they didn't understand Little it. Little curse trope. Yeah. Especially if you can't read Egyptian and you're just, like, opening shit willy-nilly just out there just opening sarcophagi and shit getting burned with acid and all that oh man also remember when uh oh uh when Ardeth bay is like you need to leave this place or die and all the locals are like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do literally anything else because <laughs> they believe in the curse because it's real so i think that was the main the main scary part about this movie it wasn't the scariest part to me personally but hmm. what did we miss has missed some stuff. Oh, you mentioned, you said you wanted to say something about the mummy ride in your notes. Oh, yeah. So I would just like to say, everyone who doesn't know, maybe I don't want to give this away because the line at Universal Studios is always so short for this ride because people don't know. But the mummy ride at Universal Studios, Florida, is the best ride in the whole park. And yes, that includes Harry Potter, okay? And I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. But the awesome thing about the mummy ride at Universal Studios is you go through the whole thing, you get fire blasted at you, and then, right when you think it's over, you do the whole thing backwards. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's such a great ride. So, like, anytime I think about the mummy now, I think about that ride at Universal Studios. Um, because that's something I've experienced more regularly recently than, like, actually watching any of the movies. Um... And also, yeah, it's awesome because, like, I think, like, you know, the mummy maybe isn't as hip as it once was, um, so the line's really short, so you can go ride it real fast while everyone else is waiting in line to go through Gringotts or whatever, and it's awesome. That's all I had to say. Oh, I did want to say, like, I know there's other stuff worth seeing in the Louvre. It just started off being all Egyptian stuff. I meant I just got distracted because I was excited. I don't know. I haven't been since I was 14, and I was a tag-along on my dad's work trip, and I was super jet-lagged. I just remember the raft of the Medusa and being like, this is so much better in person. When I did go, I I didn't, because I was a child, I uh, I just started like, a couple years wearing contacts, and one of them wasn't working. Like, it was it was really bothering me, and so I was going through the Louvre like this, like with one eye closed, like a pirate. <laughs> it just reminded me of the mummy, because I was... 10 and I had just I had just gotten my contacts I think when I was like 11 or 12 the guy has the glasses and uh Emotep smashes the glasses and that is the first time that I was like maybe I should consider LASIK I'm not trying I'm trying to go on some adventures and I'm not trying to let some dead guy like stomp my glasses and ruin my good time yeah because he's so. he died because of that basically well he got his eyes out because of that yeah he would have been able to get away 
Yeah, well, he got his eyes and tongue ripped out. That was real scary, too. Like, that was upsetting, seeing him without eyes. That's the scariest part. Oh, man. I still can't see that. Like, on The Alienist, did y'all watch that yet? I'm not going to tell you, but there's a pattern. I like that period, too. Teddy Roosevelt is in it as a... As a young police commissioner, don't mind if I do. I feel like Teddy Roosevelt is our sexiest president, with Abraham Lincoln being a very, very close second. You just think that because Abraham Lincoln was tall. No, I think that because he had a good beard and he wore a top hat and he grew his beard because a little girl told him to. This little friend Maddie told me. She wrote in, she was like, ladies like men with beards and if... If the ladies like you, then they'll tell your, their husbands to vote for you. And he was like, okay. And then I also like him because he was a bouncer. And because uh, one time someone bet him that he couldn't lift a keg over his head. And then he did. And then he drank from it. And then also, in order, Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> well, I'm trying to overlook the politics of the presidency <laughs> when I'm picking who's sexiest. And then also he freed slaves or whatever, but, you know, that's hot. Megan, who do you think is our nation's sexiest president? Oh, we're just shallows, just, like, strictly, like, looks only. No, like, politics. Um, I could agree with Abraham Lincoln, but I cannot agree with Teddy Roosevelt, I don't think. May I pitch him to you? Because I have good reasons. Oh, pull up the picture of him riding a fucking moose across a river. Do that picture. So he was a rough rider, which is what it sounds like. Spanish American War, I believe. He is the reason we have our nation's national parks. He is the only president to date with a confirmed tattoo. That's, I feel like, the biggest sell for you. <laughs> he was a loving and faithful husband. On um, New Year's Day, he stood outside of the White House and shook every citizen's hand that was in line. He was also an underdog. He was a very sickly child. And then uh, he was like, I'm not going to be sickly anymore. And so he had to try twice as hard to get half as far, and then he did. He was the president. Also, that bitch and mustache, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you sold me already. My love for national parks and tattoos. Yeah, should we? Should we? Should we bring it back? <laughs> okay. Well, that was kind of our closing question, I guess. Somehow, um, Emily, will you tell us about? Uh, book squad goals yeah so i am on a podcast called book squad goals and we podcast about a book once a month and then once a month we podcast about some other pop culture thing we want to talk to some talk about not talk to sometimes it's related to a book sometimes it's not like for instance we did an episode on the handmaid's tale tv show so we did a stranger things episode um most recently we did an episode on the book Um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is... I really enjoyed that book because it's kind of like reading Hollywood gossip and like getting all the background information, which I'm totally into. Um, Our next episode, our special Valentine's episode, is going to be about Fifty Shades Freed. Uh, (laughs) And we're going to have a special guest on the episode who has actually read the books because none of us are doing that shit, so... (laughs) But yeah, so I'm planning my trip to go see Fifty Shades Freed so I can talk about it for the show. But I'm guessing it's going to be another hate episode where we just trash it the whole time. So that'll be fun. And if you want to check us out, we're Book Squad Goals. If you look on iTunes or whatever, it's just Book Squad Goals, like one word. Or um, you can check our website. It's booksquad.inc, I-N-K, like a squid. I'm doing a little dance now. You can't see, but I am. Oh, and, and Mary Kay was on an episode. Yeah, we got to talk about got to talk about circuses. It was fun. Yeah. So if you like if you like this and you like Emily, which you do, you should check out that podcast and blog too. It's really fun. Um, for everything trying to kill you, our next episode is going to be about Ms. Megan's pick. Tell us. Uh, one flew over a cuckoo's nest. Which is not traditional horror, but it did win awards for horror. And it's definitely horrific and frightening. And I'm really pumped about it. And my college roommate, Sarah, is going to be our guest. And I know she's got a lot of really cool insight on mental health and things like that. So I'm really excited to see what she has to say, too. It's very horrifying from a mental health standpoint, I think. So (laughs) that'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited. 
Yeah, so that's what we're going to do next. We also will, by the time you're listening to this, have a new website up, which is pretty exciting. Worked really hard on it, so tell all your friends. And uh, if you like the podcast and you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. And then tell all your friends and everyone who's cool. Even people you don't like. That's fine. Like, this, but you can't hang. And then give them this and... They'll maybe decide which is their favorite, sexiest president or something that's actually relevant to the mummy. Yeah, so get pumped. Maybe they'll learn how to be cool from listening to this podcast, much like the person that you went on a date with. See how I brought it back? Oh my gosh. I He was nice, you guys. He was nice and very beautiful. Can you prove that aliens didn't record this podcast? These might be aliens. I mean, I don't see any, but then again, I... I mean, what is alien? Establish the convention, and then we can violate it. You can't, <laughs> you can't do it all in that order. Egypt land slash planet Egypt. I think that's the name of this episode. Planet Egypt land. <laughs> <laughs> Egypt land. Oh, and then on the blog, I think I'm going to do Winchester. I'm going to go see it, and then I'm going to call you. <laughs> then we're going to talk about it. What else? Do we, is that it? Are we good? Man, we covered presidents. We covered Aladdin. What else is there? We talked about the mummy a little bit, you know. We do it all, y'all.